And the interesting part is, is there is some film footage of one from, I think, the 1930s. And the woman, the poor bride has so much on. There are six women carrying her in on a blanket because she can't walk in it. There's so much <laughs> that she is skipping away. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. to the Art of Costume podcast. I am your host, Spencer Williams, and thank you so much for joining me for another bonus episode. What's going on, costume nerds? I'm so excited to talk to you all, because uh, this is an episode I've really been looking forward to, the conversation you're all about to hear, because uh, we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, the new film directed by Martin Scorsese, and it's just such a powerful, emotional film story and you know i love any film where i feel like i can walk away and really learn something and to me that's what this film was for me it opened up my eyes to this whole beautiful culture that i really didn't have any insight on before and now i just just want to keep learning more and part of doing that was doing this podcast episode that you're all about to listen to so thank you so much for taking time to listen because uh, we have not one but two incredible guests that are going to be joining me in a second here to uh, talk about this incredible film uh, but just first I have to point out uh, <laughs> I mistakenly said in last week's episode at the Hunger Games episode that this week's episode was going to be Edward Scissorhands and I was kind of right, kind of wrong. So we're actually supposed to be on break this week for our holiday. And Edward Scissor's Hands is coming out next week. So uh, if anything, my blunder just added another episode <laughs> to the calendar because now we get to fit in kills, Killers of the Flyer Moon today. So um, you're welcome, I guess. So next week on December 5th is when we'll be having our Edward Scissorhands episode and Elizabeth will be returning for that one. Uh, so I'm very excited. It's been a hot minute since Elizabeth and I have got together. So, uh, but let's talk about killers of the flower moon. Uh, first I'm going to start with a little summary before we get into this week's business. Killers of the flower moon is an epic Western crime saga where real love crosses paths with unspeakable betrayal. Based on a true story and told through the improbable romance of Ernest Burkhart and Molly Kyle, Killers of the Flower Moon tracks the suspicious murders of members of the Osage Nation who become some of the richest people in the world overnight after oil was discovered underneath their land. And that is Killers of the Flower Moon. Diving behind the costumes, we have director Martin Scorsese, which, I mean, I've just been powering through his work recently. I mentioned... I've been watching all the mafia movies and uh, Goodfellas. I mean, that was so good. I know 
I'm acting like it just came out, but <laughs> I'm obsessed with it right now. So Killers of the Flower Moon was directed by Martin Scorsese, and the costumes were designed by the one, the only, Jacqueline West. And you will know Jacqueline from some of her most notable works, such as Quills, for which she was nominated for an Oscar, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, another Oscar nomination, The Social Network, Water for Elephants, Argo, The Revenant, which she got another Oscar nomination, and of course, Dune, for which she was nominated for another Oscar nomination. And you know how I feel about Dune. I think that should be an Oscar win, but I'm not a voter, so whatever. I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, Dune is one of the greatest sci-fi costume films of all time, but enough about that. Let's talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. So, uh, before we get into the interview, a few little notes. Uh, Today, uh, when this comes out, is actually November 28th. And on November 28th, there's a great exhibition, if you want to see costumes from Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, taking place at Apple in Culver City, if you're in the Los Angeles area. Uh, They have this great exhibit that I got to check out. It's called Beyond the Screen, Killers of the Flower Moon. And you can see so many costumes, sets, uh, pieces from the set and whatnot. There's so much to see, and it's such a beautiful exhibit, so I really recommend checking it out. Seeing all these Pendleton blankets in person uh, really is such a such a gift. So I'm really thankful to Apple for opening up this exhibition. And uh, the second announcement... So this podcast, we are rejoined not just by Jacqueline West, but a new friend of mine. Uh, We're talking about costume consultant Julie O'Keefe. And uh, let me just read a quick bio about Julie O'Keefe before we get started. Uh, Julie O'Keefe grew up in the heart of Osage Nation in Oklahoma with a passion for design. As her collections garnered a following, she launched a Native American women-owned company that specialized in continuing the traditions of Native American regalia for community events and dances. Recent accomplishments include serving as an art consultant for the Creek Nation, leading the Indigenous Cultural Department for a Netflix pilot, and contributing as a consultant for the First Americans Museum. Most recently, Julie O'Keefe served as the lead Osage wardrobe consultant for Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. With that, I'm excited to say that Julie O'Keefe will also be joining us for this interview with Jacqueline West, and I'm very excited to get her insight on a lot of the traditional dress that we see within Killers of the Flower Moon. I have so many questions. So to that point, I recently, just a couple days ago now, did a... Uh, interview with Julie O'Keefe at the Costume Designers Guild, where it was just me and Julie talking about her career uh, as a costume consultant, as a native arts consultant, as a researcher, really just got to know her and understand her career and the importance she has in working with indigenous craftspeople and artisans and importance of cultural competence and authenticity. So that conversation was recorded and it's going to be posted on the YouTube channel of the Costume Designers Guild. So look out for that. If it's out by the time this comes out, it'll be in the show notes. Otherwise, check 
YouTube. Now that I'm done blabbing for, gosh, how long have I been talking? <laughs> Seven minutes. Yeah, <laughs> let's get started. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be joined by costume designer Jacqueline West and Osage costume consultant Julie O'Keefe. podcast welcome back costume nerds i am so excited for today's interview first i am so excited to welcome costume designer jacqueline west hi jacqueline hello how are you Spencer? it's so good to see you again hello. i'm also honored to welcome julie o'keefe a researcher and is a osage costume consultant who worked alongside jacqueline on killers of the flower moon julie thank you so much for being here i'm so excited to meet you well thank you for having me I'm so excited. Well, I've got to say, this is an exciting, exciting interview. I love the film, and I'm a big fan of what this team created. Uh, the story was, of course, very tragic, but there was also so much beauty to it that was really moving, especially within the storytelling of the costumes. So um, I'm going to start first with Jacqueline, but we'll definitely pass it around as we talk. Uh, I first want to start with you, Jacqueline, going back to the beginning can you take me back to the beginning of this project and your collaboration with director Martin Scorsese? Uh, yes, I uh, I was thrilled when I got the call. <laughs> wanted me to do this with him. I, it it was like one of my favorite moments in my career. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And, and um, I was at my it was during the pandemic and I was at my house in Deadwood and I remember uh, I was sitting out on my front porch that overlooks it's in the Black Hills and overlooks Mount Moriah you know where Wild Bill Hickok is buried and he's wow. a fan of Wild Bill Hickok and the whole Calamity Jane and the Deadwood mythology he'd read the book the Pete Dexter book so we had a we had a meeting of the minds right away you know <laughs> behind you well that's Mount Moriah so wow. then uh, we talked about some of my past work that I uh, where I'd uh, you know portrayed Native Americans uh, different nations and and then. Um, we started talking and we we felt, you know, I felt there was an affinity there, the whole Italian thing. My mother was Italian and I just, I love, <laughs> you know, I've always loved his movies. And um, it was, it was more just getting, you know, to know him. And then he said, just do it, you know. And I started in just doing research, just learning everything I could learn about the Osage Nation and about the people, their history. And I, though I portrayed other Plains peoples, the Osages were so unique. And uh, not only were they incredibly statuesque and, you know, as a, 
as uh, uh, you know their ancestors, but they they had a, a a slightly not slightly a very different different um, aesthetic and something I really identified with. I just right away sang to me and I just started amassing as much research as I could, but not just on the Osage, like where they were living at that time, you know, the people they encountered, um, merchants, uh, salesmen, townspeople, um, you know, blacksmiths, everybody that would be come into that world. And I just started making boards in my head first I just compiled files on my computer of anything and and organized in that way before I got to Oklahoma and actually launched all my boards with um traditional Osage modern Osage cowboys uh ranchers mm-hmm. I, I did the whole gamut because I love it right. it's my favorite part <laughs> you have a reputation for that the queen of research <laughs> They called me that, the queen, <laughs> and the queen dirt, right? Yeah. I called that. I know how to, <laughs> the, I mean, I don't, I think the revenant, no one wanted to put those costumes on after a few days. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but then Julie was sent to me, who was really my secret weapon, because she was not, not just um, a, a guide, but also she had, you know, she, was the voice of the Osage for me. She was uh, just my collaborator. And they they said I could only have her for budgetarily for 10 days. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. No way. Come on. No. She, <laughs> Julie didn't believe that, did you? Not for a second. <laughs> <laughs> then, oh, after after four months of doing research, I got we we bought a big motor home and and put our dog in it and traveled down to Oklahoma right wow. down right down i pretty much took the whole osage journey uh from missouri through missouri through kansas and down into oklahoma and i got a real feel for the places they'd lived and been and what it looked like and then they end up on a very barren part of oklahoma but blessed by God with, you know, all these incredible riches through oil that then get taken away. So the story really, it was a journey for me. Journey. I mean, this movie I feel is kind of sacred to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely, I could feel that too, just seeing it. And, you know, Julie, I love a film where I feel like I could walk away and I really learned something through the storytelling. And I mean, I couldn't think of a better film. So Jacqueline brought you on, Julie. And I'd first love to hear more about your background and how this partnership came to be from your end. She was sent to me by the chief of the Osage Nation. Oh, wow. Ending Bear. That was that was his contribution to That's incredible. Me <laughs> getting it right. Well, um, so my background is actually in product development, and I did a lot of uh, furniture design for large companies, a couple of them out of California over the years in a company that I had with another business partner. And I I lived in the the D.C. area. And um, so I um, came back to Oklahoma uh, in 2018 and at the time they were talking about the fact that they were going to be shooting the movie. And so 
my chief had called and was kind of and said, are you going to put your resume in? And I'd had a passion project of mine that was a small shop called the Cedar Chest that basically produced museum quality uh, Osage clothing and regalia for other tribes. Oh, wow. So what I was doing was going up to New York because it was so close to me in D.C. and bringing goods down like textiles and fringes and different different items that you really couldn't get. I developed a whole line of almost a tie-dyed looking. Um, it, well, I, I was inspired by a Spanish shawl I found at a Georgetown market. But anyway, I had, was triple dipping the fringe in different colors and then having that and designing the shawls to be beaded. And that's kind of how I got started. It, it started kind of selling them at the museum and then it's started to soar. Right. And so I had that for about eight years. And so, um, you know, but those product development and, and putting together uh, what I was putting together as a vision for people in my community, um, because a lot of that, the silhouette has never changed, but the materials that you use, technology changes everything. So I was able to set and really kind of provide this service and give people something they didn't have. And so in 2018, I closed that store um, like around 2015. And so I came to Oklahoma on my way. I was moving to Santa Fe and, um, uh, and I'm still here in Tulsa, by the way. So, wow. so anyway, but I um, had gotten this call from Chief and he was like, I really would like you to put your resume in. And it was during, it was right before COVID started. And so you know, I said, oh, chief, you know, I don't know anything about the movie business. And he said, no, no, really, we need to have, you know, someone who really can go in and knows how to deal kind of with a different environment, you know, which is really saying a lot of times I go off and do things. I have no idea what I'm doing. And you know, <laughs> it turns out, you know, so anyway, but he was like, I, but we want your eyes on it. And so I said, all right, well, I went ahead and sent the resume in and then the shutdown happened. Didn't hear anything. And so it kind of, you know, cycled through and everything changed. And um, so really that March of uh, 2020 is when I got the phone call from uh, the costume supervisor, uh, Cheryl. And she gave me a call and said, you know, we're interested. Jackie's interested in having you come in. And so that's how I made my way there. Wow. Well, what a journey for everyone <laughs> to get to this point. So you must be so excited to finally see the film being so well received out in the world now. It must be an incredible feeling. It is. I, I, the thing I love is that because Jackie was open to collaboration, which working with the consultants very hard if you haven't done that before. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you're coming in and it's kind of like, you don't even come from the movie industry. Why would you be telling me? But she didn't have that attitude at all. The attitude was basically, let's make this the very best that we can. Let's make it the most accurate and authentic. You know, this is the mission of what we're doing here. And so it was very easy to jump right in and then to really start going through the research. And what I came away from that when I saw the movie for the first time and then all the buzz that's going on now is really seeing that people are truly seeing us authentically. And there, there is no other tribe that can say that right now. You know, when it comes to this level of movie, you know, I mean, and I mean in period pieces, not contemporary pieces. But, you know, it's just it's a struggle that the community has had for a very long time. 
And I think Hollywood is ripe and ready to actually tell our stories accurately. And I mean, there is no one better to tell this story than Martin Scorsese. And I really am grateful, to be honest with you, for the team that he put together and how, you know, his commitment to authenticity, there, there's integrity in that. And there was integrity with every single person that worked on this film in those departments that were the head of departments. That's beautiful. I'm so glad the authenticity really came through. And that really leads me to my first question for the film. As Jacqueline was talking about, there was a lot of research involved. So this really goes to both of you now. Uh, this film takes place in the 1920s. Lots of black and white photos, I assume, if there are some. So what did that research process look like between the two of you? Well, I, I went by the script, the uh, stills that, that they wanted to reproduce. I had the, Julie's help. And also I had young Osage women working in my department. Oh, wow. They, along with Addie Roanhorse, started bringing me family photos of members of their families that actually had been part of the reign of terror or been, um, you know, lived through it. And I really relied on those photos to recreate. Plus, Osage people, I've said this in other interviews, and you've probably read it, but they were very wealthy at, at this point in time. And they were able to afford home move, making home movies, which at that point in history were $1,800 a minute. And I read <laughs> that only the royal family in England could afford home movies at that point. Wow. At this age. So they documented their travels, how elegantly they dressed, where they went, where they vacationed. Um, and then they were able to afford uh, studio stills, which, as I said, people started bringing me with Julia's encouragement. I think there was some trust involved there because this is a, a very uh, seminal moment in their history and, and very personal and very hard to, to share about because of what happened and that they shared those photos with me meant everything because I could reproduce those photographs for Marty, the, the elegance of their clothes. They shopped in Paris, in New York. They had a Tiffany store. Julie always mentions in the trading post. Wow. I think gray horse, Julie. Yes. Uh, it was called the big Hill uh, mercantile, but it was really probably the first department store in the state of Oklahoma. It had, Everything from caskets and pierceros to Tiffany's diamonds and Pendleton blankets and things for your home. <laughs> That's incredible. I did not know any of this when I was watching the film. I was really uh, not surprised, but just so fascinated with what I was seeing. It was really the Herods of the Osage, you know, because they could afford. I remember going into Herods in London when the Kuwaitis were the richest per capita people in the world for their oil. And it was all Kuwaiti women, uh, you know, in their souks and uh, walking through Herod's with big shopping bags. And they had, <laughs> had a department you could imagine, you know, diamonds and, you know, there was Tiffany, you know, everything was there. And this was like that, I think, for the Osage. So I relied a lot on the home movies and on studio shots that were taken of them. Like the one you put up here was an actual, we replicated the blankets and everything from a black and white photo of all four sisters. Oh, wow. 
And Julie, you yourself are a researcher, so I'm sure when you you must have hit the ground running, I assume, with this project. Well, you know, a lot of uh, when you're doing product development, which I did for my shop, and there were several of these fabrics that I wanted to reproduce, not just to sell to my tribe, but others, in particular, the trade cloth or the broadcloth. And so that's the part where I really set understanding the history of why we even have these materials in our clothing, like all of the ribbon that you see on these women with all these ribbon work blankets, or you, you know, wonder why we would be wearing Pendleton or why would we we'd be wearing this blanket. But, you know, a lot of these things before we purchased them, we were trading because as Osages, our culture was basically one built on the wealth of our people, what we gathered for ourselves, what we hunted and how we lived was successful, mm. how we got through the winter. I mean, Lizzie Q was living uh, buffalo hunting her entire life. Wow. And then, you know, really uh, going out and they were cleaning these hides and you know, if you think about the hard work of that and surviving, but then she and her husband have these children and this life gets forced in on us where, you know, the government came in and basically threatened to cover, cover cut everyone's rations in half, which means your family would starve unless you took them to a missionary school or a military school. And so they're forced to be taken out and then they're taught, they're not allowed to speak their language. So they have to speak English. So you've got a situation in 1920 where you have these women coming back. They've been back for several years with Lizzie Q. They're first English speakers in their own country and their own lands, like immigrants today are that come across our borders or come in. And so they're trying to figure out how to acclimate to this life. And they're, then you have all this wealth poured on top of it. To, to a group of people that, that that wasn't their wealth in their mind, the wealth wasn't the money. It was your family. You know, your wealth is your family. It's who you have around you. It's who you survive with and stay safe with. That is your wealth. And so that's the interesting part when we started going through all of the clothing. And I walked into Jackie's office that to her studio that day. And I see... I mean, floor to ceiling, thousands of photos that she set up and how they're organized. But how she organized them said everything about where this was going in her mind because you look through and you see men that are dressed traditionally. You see women dressed traditionally. Then you see women in uh, just modern clothing of the 1920s and men the same way that are acclimating to the culture. Then you see... Uh, modern with a Osage blanket, men and women. And it was all of these photos. And I was like, yep, what this is telling and what these women are telling on the screen is a story of truly a human struggle of how are we going to fit in and stay safe? And how are we representing ourselves? Because the way you're representing yourself was either going to keep you safe or make you a target. Unfortunately for us, I mean, the color of your skin did. So, um, you know, but it, but I just think it's it was something that when I walked in that day and being a researcher and being someone who's, you know, familiar in, in this culture and, and a few other cultures, too, within the, uh, the United States, 
you're really starting to look from the camera or the scope in your head of like what have what has this particular family been through? How are they going to be representing that and talking about without saying? And the best way, I mean, some of the best ways that we express ourselves is definitely through our clothing. Right. It was very fascinating to see. And one thing that really stuck out to me when I was saying in the theater uh, was the use of the blankets. I, for some reason, I think this was in my head, but seeing it on screen, it really connected with me. And Julie, I want to ask you, uh, just tell me about the use of these, uh, the Pendleton blankets and how they worked alongside the storytelling of the costume design. I never seen this before. So Pendleton, we have a long relationship with uh, Pendleton blankets and older trade blankets. And so uh, what you see in this photograph in front of us is an, an everyday shimmy game that's going on. Everyone is relaxed in this photo. They're out in public. A lot of the blankets and the shawls that you see were basically, we wear those uh, to show modesty. And so uh, even how it's covering, how it's covering us up here, you know, because we're covering from here down. And so, um, you know, you see how they're folded with the stripes going up and down. These ladies are, have, I mean, Jackie had photographs, some of which actually came from the Osage Tribal Museum we had up there of the family and um, where the fringe is showing on the outside. But that the women have six different ways that they can wear a blanket and the same for a shawl. And so it depends on what life event is going on. Here, they're relaxed in their setting watching this game. The previous uh, photograph was one where Molly was going to go visit the priest. So she's wearing her blanket more formally when she's going to see the priest. When you see her with the right there, and so she's come out of the church and she's coming into the church. So she's getting down and he's helping her down. But, you know, it's it is um, if she there's a scene where she's helping Lizzie Q and Lizzie uh, Lizzie Q is, is dying. And so there's another utilitarian way. She's actually wearing a shawl and it's a black shawl, which you would wear for a funeral. And some people, some women wore them all the time, but um, you would either have it around your shoulders, but for her, she was coming and tending to her mother as a caretaker. So in those actions that she's, that she's doing, and I made a habit of going to Lily's trailer every morning after she would go up on set because it was always a closed rehearsal. And then she would come down and I would go in and I would say, okay, show me exactly your actions and how you're using your hands. What are you doing in this day with your actions? So she'd show me her body movement because it's in the script, but just because the words are there, it's not telling you exactly how someone's moving and what they're doing. Oh, right. Absolutely. And so she's showing me and then I would say, okay, well, today what we're going to do is this is going to be more of a fold that's going to be utilitarian where we're putting it under your shoulder or flipping this up and you're going to be combing your mother's hair. And, you know, so we would work with it. I worked with her every day pretty much on movement that way. And that is really, if you pay attention to the different ways, you can see it folded many different ways on her. Right. That definitely stood out to me. Jacqueline, how many blankets were on set for this film? I, I can't remember how many panels <laughs> made for us. We found some old ones, like the one we used on Leo's coat. Uh, 
you know, his jacket, the yellow and brown jacket that's in so many of the publicity, that one, yes. Uh, that's a, a real authentic Pendleton from the 1920s. Then only one, which Leo ended wow. <laughs> But um, <laughs> they made us, I'd, I'd say probably 300 to 400 blankets. Jeez. Didn't you say, Julie? You know, Jackie, I'm thinking it's that, or it might have been a little bit more, because when <laughs> I think of all of the extras, because we had all those blankets you know, the extras were wearing along with what you had made for the girls. Plus, plus not just the Pendletons, but then we had, she had ribbon work blankets made. There was at least six of those, several beaded ones. There was at least three of those. So, I mean, it really started, you know, kind of piling up. The limit does not exist on the amount of blankets. <laughs> not for us ages. <laughs> Julie refers to the blankets as the mink coats of the Osage women. And they were that they were that treasured and that valuable. Uh they were they were very expensive back then, you know, uh, relatively speaking. Um they were so collaborative. There was a, a famous shot in the in the it was either at the tribal council building in mm -hmm. uh in Pahaska or it was at the museum I can't remember but it was a panoramic shot which I collect those my house in Deadwood you know like just these panoramic shots of all the people that were headed to Washington DC for a delegation and it was every blanket Pendleton blanket design you could imagine it as we photo we took the photograph blew up sections 22 sections of the photo wow those to pendleton they sent me the color palette of the yarns that they used back then they had archives and they had archival designs that they did particularly for the osage like they had certain ones they did for the for the lakota uh, sioux and certain ones for the osage certain ones i think for other nations um but they had the color palettes and they had they reproduced the labels that they used in their blankets in the 1920s. And from that panoramic shot, they reproduced almost every blanket in the photo. Wow, that's an incredible amount of work, but clearly it paid off. It's in that one photo of the four sisters lying on that blanket at the Shinny Games. It's one of my favorite. To me, that's a, like a painting. Oh, I love this photo. I could it look is. at it all day long, which is why I've had it up the entire time. <laughs> I just, I love, very elegant. I love that photo. I love, it really shows who all of them are, their, their attitudes, their personalities, uh, you know, just uh, a certain you know, closeness as sisters. That scene is in the movie is wonderful too. It's just so beautifully acted. Uh, it feels real. It doesn't even feel acted. I couldn't agree more. Um, I would love to talk about uh, Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly in the story. Incredible, incredible performance. Definitely just the heart of this. Um, Thinking back to the first time we saw Molly in a film, there was a lot of storytelling already within her costumes when we see her in a town. Uh, so Jacqueline, how did the two of you and your team work to create these costumes around this character who was really so much of the soul of this film and the story? She is very well said. She is the soul of the story. Uh, she's also the moral compass, I think, of the story because uh, it's a, a story of the betrayal of trust and it's a love story about both 
love and uh, betrayal and very complex. It's Shakespearean, really. How we started with Molly, she was uh, in everything I'd read about her and every, every photo I'd seen of her. She was the most traditional of of the sisters. She really wanted to maintain Osage tradition. And she, it, it was part of her soul, the tradition of the Osage. And she never uh, went against that. I mean, she did have modern, you know, 1920s shoes to go into town, but, and a nice, you know, probably very expensive bag, you know. (laughs) For the most part, she was completely traditional. When she's at home, she's in the Osage blouse that all the women have worn for many, many years historically. I think Julie mentioned they hadn't changed their clothes in 150 years. She wears, a, you know, a broadcloth um, skirt, which was a fabric from the trade, uh, sometimes a journal, sometimes silk, French, you know, French satin, French silks. But the shapes of her costume are traditional, and we stayed with that, and we made all her clothes. Her shirts have ribbon work. She wears the traditional wabankas on her blouse, the silver, uh, the big silver, uh, German silver carved, uh, what what can I call them, Uh, brooches or uh, pins. Um, She's totally traditional. The beaded Czechoslovakian bead twisted necklace. She has it all on right here in this photo. She wears the traditional moccasins. Uh, Julie, was the one who found all of those artisans who made her costumes. Wow. That we couldn't make in-house, you know, didn't make the jewelry. We did a little finger weaving in-house, but Julie brought us finger weaving artisans. We did fringe the blankets in-house, but we also had young Osage women who had learned the art from their moms or their aunts (laughs) coming in, working with us, because we had to fringe so many. This is all hand done. All the fringe you see on these blankets, wow. all hand done after we got the blanket into the workshop. My workshop was run by a wonderful, wonderful specialty customer, Mindy Eiler. And then the clothes for all the Osage, even the, we needed multiple dresses for Anna. We would fi- I'd find, you know, incredible designer 1920s dresses, and then we would have to reproduce them because I need right. multiples for, for what happens to her. And we did all of the Osage um, shirts and um, blouses, even trousers for the men. We made it all in-house. But the uh, actual artwork of the Osage, like the trim, the bl- the ribbon work blankets, the finger weaving, uh, the jewelry, the beading, the wabankas, all done by Osage artisans for the movie, brought to us through Julie. And Julie, I actually wanted to ask you, uh, there's a very beautiful scene where uh, Ernest and Molly get married and traditional costumes, I must point out, is uh, Molly's wedding outfit. It was very military in a sense, uh, if that's what I'm picking up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, the history on the on the military coat or the Osage wedding coat is um, in the 1800s, the there was a delegation that went up to um, they went up to visit Thomas Jefferson 
And of course, this was a meeting where, you know, Jefferson, the United States government is showing their might and, you know, really trying to, you know, bring the natives in, but let them know this, you know, we're in charge and this is military. And one of the, uh, the chief who was there at the time uh, admired a military coat that this gentleman had on. And so when the meeting was over, similar to diplomats who give each other diplomatic gifts now, the gift that was given to them, Jefferson turned around to this gentleman and said, take off your military coat and gave it to this chief. Well, as Jackie stated earlier, I mean, Osage men are very broad and stately and very tall. And so um, they were unable to wear European style jackets. So what they did was pass it down to their daughter. They gave them to their daughters. And so the family then took this and they put Osage ribbon work and they added their own individual style into those coats. And so these started in meetings being something that was traded and given into. And each one of these coats, if you were marrying a woman, who was wearing one of these coats at a wedding, you knew that she came from an extremely prominent family and and had had a chief or a high-level council member in her family to own one of these. Wow. I was blown away when I saw these costumes. Jacqueline, do you remember seeing these costumes on set? And just, (laughs) you must have been like, wow, what are we doing here? This is incredible. I, I mean, if you see, there's everything in these. There's the ribbon work that is very uh, typical and unique to the Osage. Um, The hand on her Molly's wedding skirt stands for friendship. There's woodland, the woodland uh, tribes, which the Osage are descendants of. The woodland designs are all done in beadwork on uh, one of the sisters' coats. There's embroidery work, uh, uh, the lotus pattern, there, there's so much detail in these coats. And we did these all in-house with the exception of the finger weaving, belt, finger woven belts and the uh, ribbon and embroidery work that Julie had the artisans make. Uh, we did the coats in-house and then Julie's, you know, found people that, and what the beautiful thing about that was is that it gave so many people, uh, Osage people, they got to be part of this project of the making of, which was really heartwarming for me. When I saw them all out there, all together being photographed, I just got chills. It was such a, that was such a collaboration, that wedding scene. And even even Julie, we had Julie in-house helping direct. I have the fabulous cutter fitter that I've used uh, on many movies, Rosalie Lee and she was able to come down from Canada and work on this. She'd done the Revenant with me. And I think Leo helped with that. And she, she directed her this brilliant sewing room. And Julie really was the consultant on those wedding coats that they were exactly, they look like museum pieces. They do. They're every one of them. And uh, quite frankly, the, the I all the items that we have, including the ribbon work blanket that you see around her waist, and and the the those coats, the coat that the bride has on, 
the blanket around. She's got a skirt on underneath that. She has an unfinished finger woven belt. Then there's another one under that. She has a hat. She has multiple pins. This is all to be given away. And similar to what we don't call it a dowry, but but it would be like a dowry that she is giving away. But she's giving it away to someone who would have been extremely helpful or important for her her wedding and for this whole union to happen. And so they would put them behind a blanket and then all of this would would come off. And the interesting part is, is there is some film footage of one from, I think, the 1930s. And the woman, the poor bride has so much on. There are six women carrying her in on a blanket because she can't walk in it. There's so much (laughs) that she is giving away. So, you know, but these are parts of, of history that nobody would know about us. You know, no one would know this. And so that's what I really love about getting, you know, having the opportunity to really share. That's really being shared. Wow. Can I just say something with this film has already done? It just came up on my phone. Something pinged. The United, the U.S. Quarter issued today honors Maria Tallchief, America's first prima ballerina. They made a quarter. It came out today. <laughs> I just got one on Saturday. Her daughter came to Tulsa and they had a big celebration. Oh, I love that. You know that her explain the relationship of um of the people who worked on our movie, uh Brandy's brother, uh JT and and his mother who contributed Cecilia oh, yeah. Tall Uh they're all relatives of that work of Maria Tallchief. And look at this picture of her. She was, when I was a young girl, my favorite ballerina. I had no <laughs> idea she was Osage. Mm-hmm. I, wow. I, I went to see the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo with my mother in San Francisco, and she was the star. And I was obsessed by her because she was so long and elegant. She, I think she was doing Swan Lake, and she actually like became a swan. I mean, she was so fluid. I think Makarova always copied her later on, <laughs> the style of dancing. But they made a quarter. They did. We have one. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to run out and get some. <laughs> they, they poured them in this bowl, and then they had, they were, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was raining cats and dogs last Sunday. But everybody rolled out for it. I mean, Tulsons and everyone, really. Um, Lily was there. And so I, I went to this movie was responsible for that. I think that it definitely helped with that, even though Maria Talchu rolled on her own steam, but she would definitely. But yes, I think all at the same time, it's very complimentary for sure of everything that is happening for our people being in the spotlight right now. I got chills when I saw it because I did a movie once in Pahuska with Terrence Malick, and I hadn't heard of the Osage because they don't teach about that in in schools because of what Very happened. Very true. And so I said, who are the Osage? And I have always regarded myself as, you know, my husband's one-fourth uh, Blackfeet. And I, I've always loved Native culture. thought it was so uh just so beautiful the philosophy behind it and um you know taking only what you need and and you know not disturbing the environment and it was all romantic to me as a berkeley hippie girl you know <laughs> so to 
to not realize it was a tribe that I didn't know about, you know, and how beautiful everything was when I went there and saw photos and windows and stuff and not having known about them. And I didn't know, like I said, that Maria Talchi was Osage. And then when I started working with her relatives, it was like, it was just a fantastic moment for me with my whole history with the tall chiefs. Well, and I also want to give a shout out to my friend who's the, uh, his name's Chad Renfro and he's the ambassador to the Osage, uh, to the Osage uh, tribe for the movie, but he designed that quarter. Oh, Chad worked with the U.S. Mint. He was going up there all last year and designing that corner. Now I will go out and get one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been so exciting that this just happened right now. And it just it makes my heart happy knowing that this was such a beautiful, enjoyable experience for everyone involved. And that so many different artisans were able to come together and really create this beautiful story that I hope everyone is rushing to the theaters to see not once, but a few times to really just take in what happened here, because this was really a special film costume designer, Jacqueline West. Thank you so much. I hope we could talk again soon. Maybe when we head to Arrakis, wink, wink and (laughs) Julie O'Keefe, please. My door is open. I would love to have these conversations with you as your career really takes off in the film industry. This feels like the beginning of something really (laughs) incredible already sought after as a consultant by other films right you should be (laughs) thank you both so much this has been a real pleasure thank you so much have a nice day you too the art of costume podcast is hosted and produced by elizabeth joy glass and spencer williams Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on TikTok at The Art of Costume and Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more podcast updates, costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, go to theartofcostume.com a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design.